Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Amy Harris. She's the founder of Amy Harris Homestead. Uh, she's on YouTube. You can look her up. Her, her name is, has an unusual spelling. It's A-M-M-I-E. Her last name is like regular spelling, H-A-R-R-I-S. So check her out on uh, YouTube uh, in regards to her home storage, uh, homestead type activities. So Amy, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Thanks. I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, um, in particular, it looked like you had uh, possibly some insights into not just the baby formula shortage, but what to do about it. You know, can you make your own baby formula? What do you do, et cetera? So I wanted to ask you about that, if that's okay with you. Yes, of course. Well, actually, we didn't face the actual shortage. I've been given a lot of advice to moms who who are facing the shortages that are around right now. We Mm -hmm. actually had to supplement with my first child. My oldest child is three years old and we had a very traumatic birth, which left him with poor latch. I had a low milk supply and we were having to supplement. His weight gain was just terrible. He was drastically dropping within two or three days of birth. So we were having to supplement with commercial formula at that time. Thankfully we didn't have face shortages, but this commercial formula was just not working for us. His health was continuing to decline and it was just, if you've ever seen your child hungry, it's just heartbreaking to watch their, their, um, fists will be clenched up. They don't sleep well. they just have like this look of anxiety on their face and right. it was just heartbreaking. So I was, was like, what can I do this? Our pediatrician was recommending commercial formula and we were trying all different kinds to help him. Nothing was working. So I just kind of started on the realm of like holistic health and looking into healing our bodies. I was like very, very new into the research and just stumbled upon an article about homemade raw cow's milk formula. And this is very controversial. And I was very, very, very scared at first of what I was even reading that I was going to feed my child. But I was also very scared to even ask my husband about it. Cause again, we, we didn't, we didn't want to put something into our child that was going to harm him. And, but we kind of just decided we weighed the pros and the cons, but read tons of reviews about the homemade formula and just went for it. We sourced the ingredients. It was quite difficult in our area to source a clean a cow, raw cow's milk that we would actually trust. Cause again, that's quite controversial and kind of difficult to find in some areas that we finally sold out the ingredients made the formula. I think my kitchen was sterilized like five times before making the formula. I was so nervous about making this for my child to eat. I mean, he was already on the verge of not gaining. We already had a lot of health issues going on. And anyways, went for it. We gave him the milk and literally within two or three days, his, his weight was skyrocketing. Our next pediatrician appointment, the pediatrician was like, what are you doing? And we didn't really talk that much about it to our pediatrician. Cause again, quite controversial. They probably would have told us to stop. Our child was going to die, but she was just impressed at how much his weight had improved. And just, I mean, it was just basically like a miracle, honestly, just watching my child completely change his entire oh, yeah. 
on that new formula after being on the commercial formula. So again, we weren't actually faced with a shortage, but to moms that have come reached out to me through my YouTube channel and Instagram about what to do when they need formula, I always suggest this. And I always advise moms and dads to, to do their own research guardians, whoever may be looking into feeding that child, do your own research, thoroughly, thoroughly research this. Um, but there are options out there. And I have an entire video talking about our story more in depth in the, on this topic and just kind of encouraging parents that, yes, it's a bit controversial, but yes, it, it totally changed our son's life for the better. And what's in baby formula that you had to recreate? Like, what does the, the recipe look like generically? What needs to be in it? Well, I don't have it written down right now because, again, this was like three years ago, but there are like certain profiles that need to match the mom's breast milk. So, of course, there was like the protein from the cow's milk and certain like there were certain trying to even remember what all was in it, because, again, we haven't made this in three years. We didn't have to use it with our second child, thankfully. But basically, the the form, the recipe is broken down and it, it compares the profile with mother's breast milk. Um, there's several versions, a cow's milk version, goat's milk version, and a liver version. I didn't try out those last two, but basically, again, I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me reminding me what all was in it, and I'm not familiar with it because it's been quite a while, but um, it's okay. we but did. But the point is, you, you found a recipe, you emulated, emulated as best you could, as yes. well as mother's milk. You yes. gave it to your baby, your baby thrived, and all exactly. those well. Exactly, exactly. And again, we weren't completely using the formula. I know that some families do completely rely on formula for adoption reasons mothers can't produce milk had a traumatic birth surgery but we were just supplementing and just it was just phenomenal um I didn't after a first week or so I didn't have any more fear about it and just watched our son completely thrive after that so I just encourage parents to research that if they're kind of struggling and they're just cannot find a, a formula on the shelves now for their child what about um it, it doesn't sound like again it's your area of expertise but perhaps they could maybe they could pump and then mix that in with, uh, you know, oh, prepared yeah. formula to, to stretch it further if they have low supply. For yes, instance. that's basically what we did. I did pump. I had to go back to work at eight weeks. And we started the formula with him about three, four, five weeks, somewhere right in there. I can't remember the exact time frame. So I was home with him and nursing. And then I would supplement with commercial formula. When the commercial formula wasn't working, we switched to the homemade formula. So I would either give him a bottle right after that, or sometimes I would mix it with breast milk if my of care care provider was with him but yes I was pumping too giving him that milk and then sometimes we mixed it I think it's a I think it was advised not to mix it so we didn't we try to do that very much we might have mixed like a half an ounce with it because we just were trying to top him off because I just had a just a little bit too low of a supply to to have him continue to gain weight so I know that's a struggle with a lot of moms with just a little bit a little bit extra I guess you had breast milk supply chain issues, it sounds like. Yes, exactly. Um, and since then, I've learned a lot about mineral depletion of the postpartum and thoroughly like preparing your body to make enough milk and didn't have this issue with my second child. But with my first, I was new to this whole health and wellness and healing our bodies and was just learning and I'm trying to just send that to others now, other moms now who need it. No, oh, that's yeah. great. So what, what kind of topics are you covering nowadays? What are you, you know... Uh, helping people with basically I have a YouTube channel and I share just everything on motherhood I also share a lot about our home homestead projects and things like that I'm kind of on a small scale homestead right now and hope to further it but I um, left my full-time teaching job just six months ago so I'm pretty new to this whole like 
sharing full time. I was doing it kind of on the side as I was still teaching, but just I share lots of motherhood tips, encouraging moms just to sh- show our lives on I have two toddlers and I'm expecting baby number three. So I share a lot of pregnancy advice, things that we eat in our family to, or myself to keep my body properly nourished and prepared to grow the baby. Um, I'll be sharing a lot in the postpartum time of what I'm doing to help with milk supply. So I don't have to face that shortage that I did with my first child and hopefully won't have to supplement with the homemade formula, but I would definitely go back to the homemade formula if I had to at any point um, with any of my children. So that's kind of what I share about now, just motherhood life in general and everything going on around here. Yeah. What I've, I've spoken to various people that are preppers or, you know, they're living off grid, et cetera, but you call yourself a homesteader. What does that mean? What, what's the difference? <laughs> okay. So we are not off grid by any means. We live with like five miles in the city. Um, but we, so homesteading, I don't even know, like I don't even really think of myself as that, but a lot of the skills we do use are homesteading skills. I think a lot of times people think if you're living on a homestead, you're like completely self-sustainable. You grow everything, you can and preserve everything. You raise all your own beef and cattle and eggs. And we don't, we aren't on that scale by any means. We basically have a small raised bed garden, which I encourage anyone if they're just looking into small scale homesteading, just start with growing something in your windowsill in a pot. Um, so we are very small scale gardeners. So we do grow some of our own crops, not all of it. We have about 30 hens and that's pretty new within this last year where we get our own backyard free range eggs. But like, like I said, I think people think that when they say homestead, you have to completely rely on your own land. And that's not the case. We are nowhere near that. I would love to be eventually, but we are just not there financially. And with time constraints, we've only been on this property about two years. So we've had to do soil regeneration and just work on our soil and farming practices and laying out fences for future pastures. So everything is just a work in progress. But I think for us, homesteading is just doing what we can on the land that we have and what we can't grow locally or raise locally as far as crops, animals, livestock, um, we source it locally. So, and also again, locally, I feel like people think if you're sourcing locally, you're living within like a little five mile radius, a little homestead of community, but that's not the case either. We, we literally drive about an hour to an hour and a half for some of our locally sourced products that we can't raise on our property yet. So We are very small scale homesteaders. And another thing I was going to chat about is also homesteading doesn't even have to be outside. Um, A lot of homesteading skills happen in the kitchen, such as making bread, learning to make butter, yogurt, bone broth, just those ancient skills that our ancestors use that have just kind of faded away because we've become so dependent on grocery stores to pick it up in one stop and come home and put it in the pantry or the grocery store and it's shelf stable for for years. So it's little skills like that, that I've slowly accumulated in the last couple of years that aren't even, I mean, I could live in an apartment and be using those skills as making bread, bone broth, yogurt, those kind of things. Yeah, very cool. What are the top requests you're getting for information? Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. 
Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. I shared that formula video a couple of months back. So I still get a lot of questions about that of moms who are like pregnant right now. And they're, they thank me for the information and they kind of have it on backup in case they end up needing it. I think a lot of moms plan to breastfeed and then like I, I myself planned exclusively breastfeed and then something happens and you're kind of going off guard and you just kind of want to have that in your back folder in your mind of what to do. So I've had a lot of um, people reach out to me about that. And then just pregnancy in general, a lot of people, I, I, like I said, I share a lot about what I eat, kind of the ancestral foods that we eat, the bone broth, the liver, and just more like nose to tail. So I get a lot of questions about that, about how I prepare some of that, but I shared in videos. So a lot of people will just comment and they're just kind of surprised that people eat like that because I mean, a lot of people do eat like that and prepare their food like that. I don't think it's just not talked about as much now. And I hope that more light is brought to that, that we can eat like our ancestors ate a hundred plus years ago. And what, what, is, what does that mean? What does that mean? Like a, a, a typical person will go to a restaurant where they'll buy, they'll make steaks at home, let's say, or ribs uh-huh. or whatever. Uh-huh. What are you doing differently? What is this nose to tail concept of eating? What does it look like? Okay. So when we, we, we get our meats from a grass fed um, local farmer about 30 minutes from us. So we, we get bone in cuts so that I can save all the bones from the ribeye, the steaks, the ribs. If I get a whole chicken, I save all of the bones, make bone broth from that. So that's like a complete other meal. You can use the bone broth in soups. I put it in our hot chocolate. I put it, just kind of sneak it in anywhere. I soak rice in it, grains. Um, you're just getting the, the, the nutrients from the bones that way. So that's one way that whenever we cook steaks or whatever, we keep the bone. And I always buy bone in cuts when we do purchase meats. Another thing we do buy like organ meats. We go to our local farmer and like the, I think he, I've been asking him if liver has become more popular being purchased because we had only started purchasing about six or eight months ago. And he said it actually was um, for the longest. He pretty much, they just discarded the liver and the heart and the organ meats. And now there are more people actually purchasing it. So that was um, interesting to hear. But so when we just pick out our meats um, at our local farmer about 30 minutes away, we just buy more of the organ meats. And then again, like I said, we save bones, make bone broth, stuff like that. So it's kind of a a new mindset to get into because most of us have not grown up eating that way. We just eat the muscle meats, but there's so much, there's like aminos that we need from all the meats that God created us to get. And we are just getting a certain profile from muscle meats that kind of leaves us lacking in some areas. And we aren't eating that full nose to tail from our, from the animals. Well, what have you noticed now that you switched and you're eating more nose to tail, you're eating more, more organ meats, et cetera. Um, my skin drastically changed. Um, I suffered with acne my entire preteen college years and even a little bit into adulthood. My first pregnancy was also kind of struggled with acne. So here in the last year, my, my skin has definitely improved my husband's allergies, which I don't think this is just the nose tail, but just our whole way of eating. My husband's allergies have completely drastically gone away. He had the worst allergies his entire life. The last couple of years, he never gets seasonal allergy flare ups just from putting in our bodies what it actually needs all of the foods from the whole animal the um like honey I think is a big one that's helped him too eating all things from honey the bee pollen the honeycomb the honey just eating the more of the whole product instead of just the specified thing that's usually at the grocery store like just the steak or just the hamburger meat um, but eating the whole part of the animal or whatever you're consuming 
But what about your kids? You said you're mixing bits of this stuff, whatever you can, into all the foods. Yes, yes. So I'll sometimes sneak little bits of liver into my children's smoothie, or I'll chop it up really fine and cook it with our hamburger meat so they don't actually know they're eating it. I actually take raw liver shots, um, basically just chop up a little small piece of liver, throw it in the back of your mouth, chase it with some orange juice. So that's the way I consume my liver usually because I don't really like it cooked and unless it's very, very camouflaged because it is quite a strong smell. Um, but my son has actually just started doing that with me as well. Like he sees me and my husband doing it. So he thinks it's a cool idea. And I think that's such a good thing for parents to do whatever you're wanting your kids to eat. If you have a picky eater, if you are doing it continuously, your kids are going to pick up on it. So I never thought my two and a half year old will be taking a little liver shot with me, but he does, but also sneak in their foods. Um, they have bone broth, hot chocolate with me every night. So basically I make the bone broth for the week. I sneak it in on their hot chocolate. They don't even taste it. They're just getting the those really rich minerals and they don't even realize it, but they um, have seen us doing it. So they kind of just think it's normal, honestly. So. Well, that's good. I mean, have you, what have you noticed with your children as they started to have this regularly? Has the behavior gotten better? So, I mean, my kids were pretty leveled out because I really work to keep their hormones balanced throughout the day. They're, blood sugar balance by making sure they have complete meals. So they don't have those spikes and those big traumatic um, tantrums that many times kids have. My kids are not perfect. They do still have tantrums and do still have behavior issues, but they're, they're more just like, like you can tell they're just kind of content because their body just has what it needs. They're not missing gaps and we don't eat perfect by any means. We still sometimes have a little splurge and go to a restaurant, but for the most part, we are trying to get all levels of food we need, whether it be from our own property and our kids help us grow that or raise the, raise the chickens and get, gather the eggs. Um, they are, I do, I would say their behavior is a little more level than some kids that are around um, as, as well as their sickness. I hate to say that, but like, I hope my kids won't get sick tomorrow after I say this and my kids are hardly ever sick. Um, and if they are, um, we treated at home with foods and lots of bone broth and really ancestral foods and they bounce back within about 24 to 36 hours really quickly um without even having to leave the house um so that's been great <laughs> just compared to just seeing other kids sicknesses and just seeing other moms on Facebook talking about their kid having this sickness and just so thankful that we have not had to have much of that yet and hope that we can continue to treat things like that at home using food as our medicine yeah no that's great what kind of feedback do you get from your YouTube watchers? Do they uh, pick up this protocol? And if so, what are they telling you about what it does? Some have, yes, yeah, some have. Well, some will just ask me questions about how to, how to prepare the liver, how they can consume the liver. It's kind of controversial in pregnancy too. I've had several pregnant moms reach out that, that is it safe? And I'm like, well, that's your, your decision. You have to know the sourcing of that. You have to know you have to be comfortable with consuming that. And that's just something I'm comfortable with. Same thing with like raw egg yolks. I drink lots of raw egg yolk drinks and coffee and um, like milky chocolate drinks. Um, I'm always sharing about that on my YouTube channel. So lots of moms have shared about that. I have um, several followers who have been implementing this with their kids and talk about how their kids love the bone broth hot chocolate that I share about a lot. Um, I've just had really positive feedback from mostly moms because that's what mostly mostly watches my channel from when they implement these things that they're they actually are surprised their kids like it or they don't even notice they're eating some of these things. Um, the bone broth hot chocolate's a really big one. Um, we just love it in our house. We have it every night. So I've had really good feedback in that area of how we eat and just people interested and intrigued at the different kind of ways we eat things and prepare our foods. What's the bone broth uh, hot chocolate recipe? Just out of curiosity. 
Okay. So it's, I don't have a true recipe. It's kind of a rate. It's kind of just ratio. So it's our raw, our raw milk. I mentioned before we go to a local farmer, pick up our raw milk. So I usually do a cup of raw milk, a half a cup of bone broth that we make every week. Um, a teaspoon or two of cacao powder and a teaspoon or two of maple syrup. So it's literally four ingredients. I make sure that I double the milk to the bone broth. So you don't taste that bone broth flavor. Um, I personally like the taste of bone broth. If it's cooked well and flavor my children don't love it so much plain. So camouflaging it with the milk and the cacao and maple syrup, they love it. Super simple to make. They just warm it on the right. oven and blend it together. My wife makes a special, um, like a butter coffee drink. Yeah. But she also uses cacao butter. So you oh, may wow. want to try that in the, um, in the hot chocolate too. It might make it like richer and creamier too. Yum. Yeah. I, I haven't had cacao butter. Is yeah, the combination like a- of the, the powder and the butter is very good. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That would be delicious. It comes like, um, it comes like unsweetened chocolate. It comes in like yeah. little round pieces like Navitas uh-huh. is a brand that has it. Okay. Um, again, it just, it seems to go very well with cacao powder. Uh-huh. There's also cacao okay. nibs, which will make it crunchy. Yes. But, um, you know, my wife has made like a yogurt with cacao nibs and powder and butter and all that stuff. And yes, it goes we, really well too. So we love cacao nibs. I use them in chocolate chip cookies sometimes instead of the chocolate chips. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, maybe you'll try the butter and see. Yeah. Well, very cool. What, what other uh, kinds of issues do you see coming up nowadays from, you know, people that are commenting on, on what you put out there? Like what are people asking for a lot of? Um, I've had little bits here and there about like shortages, like I said, with the formula, but not just the formula, but like other food shortages. I mean, I talk a lot about how we source locally from our property or from the area. And I just believe everyone should be kind of prepared for finding local farmers, local farmers markets, and being able to rely on something besides the big box grocery stores and all the um, pharmaceuticals that we all rely on. and just people just asking about our local sourcing. I mean, like I said, it's not common now to drive to several different stops to pick up your milk or your eggs or your beef. Um, Most people just get it at one stop at the grocery store. And in our area, we don't have the best of grocery stores in general. So if I wanted higher quality foods, I couldn't really get them in my area. I'd have to drive a couple hours to a different city to get them. So sourcing it locally and knowing how the animals or the crops are raised is just honestly overall better for us in our area and just for our health in general. So I have a lot of people reach out about that, about how to find those sources. And I always re, uh, refer them to for raw milk. There's a website called raw milk finder. You can type in your zip code and it will tell you all of the farmers in your area that offer raw milk, goat's milk, cow's milk, etc. So that's a good place to start out for that. I've had a lot to reach out about how to find raw milk and then grass-fed beef, I think has become even more popular and buying your beef and meats in bulk has become more popular, like buying a whole cow. I've had several people ask about that. We've done that a couple of times where we buy not the whole cow, we get a half cow and then split it with our family because we don't have enough freezer storage yet for all of that. But yeah, um, even, a, even a quarter cow is a lot. It is so much. People that want to yes. do that, they can go in with other families. Yes. It's a lot of food. It is. We um, did that with my parents last year and then my in-laws the year before that. And we each got a quarter and that meat lasted us for an entire year. So we also have like venison and chicken as well that we buy, but it lasted us an entire year. And you can like request the bones. And I've heard you can even request tallow to cook for like a cooking oil. I haven't done that yet because I did not know about it last time we purchased our, our whole cow, but 
there's so many parts of it you can request and just get. And then a lot of it's discarded, like the liver, the heart, um, the oxtail. There's so many parts you can just request when they take it to the butcher and you have all that in your freezer and it's just so, so healthy. That's very, very cool. For someone that is afraid, you know, they get everything from the grocery store. They want to embark upon this, but they just, you know, they feel like there's not a lot of time, not a lot of money. Again, they don't know what to do. How do they dip their toe in and get started? Well, we're, we're on a budget as well. Like we don't just have tons of money to spend on this. Um, We kind of thankfully are already a little started into it, but if we had literally no land to do anything on to even garden, I would advise them just to find a farmer's market near them or one local source for eggs, somebody maybe at your church or your coworker, just find one source of something that you can stop relying on the grocery store for. I think eggs are a really easy one to source out because so many people have backyard chickens now, um, or even just a farmer's market, start buying more of your produce there. And I don't really think it's that much more expensive, honestly, um, to buy locally for like produce, um, as far as like budget constraints. So just finding something local, because when, when grocery stores have their shortages, that local farmer, that local, um, gardener is going to still be growing stuff, hopefully, and you're supporting them. And you're also guaranteed that you can continue to get that food source if the grocery store is not having it. So don't try to start out buying everything locally or growing everything locally. Just start with one thing. Um, I think our first thing we started with was, was eggs. Yeah. Cause my dad had, we had someone in our church that had eggs and my dad had eggs and that's how we got our eggs until we, we were able to do it on our own land and our own, at our own homestead. You guys, have you tried to grow any microgreens like on the counter in your kitchen or anything? I have, yes, I have once, but then it kind of just fizzled away. Um, we didn't eat it enough, but I, I do love doing that. And our, I do sometimes grow those at our farmer's market, but I need to probably get back into that because that's something my kids would probably love. We're just starting some homeschooling stuff with my three-year-old. So almost oh. three-year-old, but he would love that. Um, I probably need to get back he, If he gets to plant them. Yeah, watches them grow and sprout. He'll he'll probably feel he would, amazing. Yeah. He would love it. He loves working in the garden, but he would love doing that, like his personal little little plant in the house. He would. I need to look back into that. It's been several years. That was one of the earlier things I started, but I just never kept it up. But that's an easy one to definitely do. Yeah, if they grow radishes or like yeah. some, you know lettuce, lettuce stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. real simple. And, and another one. Another oh, for one them, it'll one. feel like a long time, but it's kind of quick. Yeah, another easy one that I love is sprouts. Uh, the seeds, you just kind of keep them wet and germinate in a, in a mason jar and they just grow. That's another fun one. So what areas do you feel like you, uh, you're you going to start addressing soon on the channel or what areas do you need to go to? Or, you know, again, you're just documenting your journey. What's next for you? Um, I guess this next baby, um, I'm uh, 25 weeks pregnant. So we'll be documenting the last part of this pregnancy. I have a whole series out about pregnancy options that moms may not know, like things such as do you have to do an ultrasound? Do you have to do the gestational diabetes test? Do you have to do certain this or that from your, that your provider requests? And just kind of opening the awareness to moms of this is your body, your birth, your choice. You might have to fire your provider and find somebody else, but no, you ultimately don't have to do these things that they're requesting. I mean, there are definitely help things that come up where things are necessary, but in a low risk pregnancy, there's so many things that are just pushed upon us in the health and wellness OB world that are just not necessary. So I have a series on that, that I'm kind of working my way through. I have another one of those coming out soon. So just right now I'm kind of focusing on a lot of pregnancy topics and I'll go into postpartum because that's just kind of what's going on in my life. Now I touched, I've touched a little bit on the 
food shortages, like I said, and sourcing local. I have several videos and topics about that. So, but right now it's kind of just the pregnancy and the postpartum coming up since that's what's relevant in our lives right now. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. My well, channel just Amy, kind of um, flows with what's going on in our lives, sort of. So what, what uh, dietary changes are you still contemplating? Adding, changing, removing, that kind of stuff? far as the most recent thing we removed is seed oils, nut oils, all of that. Um, there's a lot of research both ways of heart healthy, omega-3s, olive oils, avocado oils. And there's also another opposing side of those things are very oxidizing in the body, cancer causing. So I've really been recently delving into seed and nut oils, and we've pretty much eliminated those from our home. And there's a lot of research behind it with sunburn and we basically don't sunburn anymore that we've cut those out of our body. They're not soaking in our skin, basically PUFAs. That's um, polyunsaturated fatty acids. That's kind of what the most recent thing we removed from our diets. Sorry, what? What do you mean you don't sunburn? So basically (laughs) this is very new research to me, but it's very, very interesting. We, I've always, I mean, I've always just sunburned if I've been in the beach, on the beach for several, several hours at a time. But since this, this past, this past winter, we cut out completely poofless seed oils. And I was like, well, is this really going to work? I'm just going to test it out at the beach this year and use safe sun exposure, not use any sunscreen at all. I'm going to sit in the sun, go in and out of this umbrella with my child into the ocean, not use sunscreen and didn't burn. So basically we cut those out of our bodies. I kind of detox my body from PUFAs, just eating a lot of vit- taking vitamin E. I ate a lot of um, raw carrot salads to kind of detox that from my body. And over time, when you detox your body from these PUFAs and stop putting them into your body, they're not reacting in your skin. And that's one of the main reasons we sunburn. Um, this is just from my research and what I've seen true with us. My children did not sunburn. My husband did not sunburn. It's pretty awesome. I mean, we, we just basically use our diet as our sunscreen. Pretty phenomenal research behind it there. Um, still, this was our first true summer to try it out. Like I said, we cut those seed oils out this past winter. So that's been an interesting thing. That I've. Well, what have you noticed in addition to not burning in the sun? You know, uh, the first three weeks, four weeks of doing that, like what, what did you notice? I don't really know, like immediate changes I felt just kind of. You were probably too healthy already. It didn't really <laughs> well, we don't eat perfect, um, but like I used to cook things in olive oil and avocado oil because that's just what I thought was necessary. I mean, we used a little bit of coconut oil and a little bit of butter, but olive oil, olive oil and avocado oil were like my main two. I wouldn't say it happened immediately, but when I, when I cut them out for about a month or two, when I would like go to my in-laws house or like a restaurant that still use those, like we don't, we don't, I don't like go crazy about it. And if I go to somebody's house and eat something that's been cooked in olive oil, I'm not going to freak out or tell them I'm not going to eat their food. But when I go to places like that, I do notice I get a slight headache now. It's like my body reacting with those oils because it's kind of detoxed itself from them. So that was kind of a, not an immediate change, but within a month or two, if we go to a restaurant and I've had something that I know has been cooked pretty heavily in those oils, my body is letting me know that I need to stop. I need to get this out. I mean, I believe that every ailment we get, a headache, a stomach ache, whatever ache we get is our body trying to tell us something. And my body immediately tells me when I've had those oils that I need to not eat them as much. So that was kind of a not quick um, effect I noticed, but within a month or two, I started noticing that once I kind of cut those out and detox our bodies from it. Yeah, that's great. What, what about your husband and kids? Did they have different effects? Or uh, I don't know if my kids, like 
they never really had a ton of it because they're still so young. My daughter probably hasn't even really had any because we cut these out when I was still fully nursing her. So the only seed oil she ever really had like in our home was through whatever she was getting from breast milk. But so she's never truly had them besides like at a restaurant or like a family member's house that they cooked like that. But my son, I don't know, I guess like the behavior, I mean, his, I don't want to know with my kids, they just kind of are leveled out. And like I said, they're pretty healthy just from how we eat in general and how we've tried to, but I guess the main thing I noticed with them is the sunburn. Cause last summer when we went to the beach, my son did sunburn. We were still consuming those seed oils. They're, they're literally in everything, every like health packaged food has some form of what is it? Saffron oil or what is that main oil? Well, yeah, the sunflower oil, canola sunflower oil, oil rapeseed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of those. And I used to not, I mean, I don't like avoid them at all costs. I just try not to buy things with those unless it's like a random event. So it's really hard yeah. to cut them out yeah. when you start cotton looking oil, into it. Cotton seed, peanut, yeah. rapeseed, canola, sunflower. Yeah. That yeah, has a lot. But now we basically just use coconut oil, tallow, or like grass-fed clean butter. I make a lot of our well, butter milk. So that's, that's one of the newer things I've been researching into. I haven't shared a ton of it about on my channel because I'm still pretty new at learning it, but I've seen some really, really awesome effects with our family, especially from that sunburn being at the beach and just being outside a lot. We do live in the deep South. So we're outside a lot and like my kids just, they don't burn anymore. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do any uh, fermentation? Do you make it like yogurt? sauerkraut? Yes. Sauerkraut was actually one of, the, I didn't even mention that yet. That was one of the first homesteading skills I learned. Um, it was actually one of the first videos I shared, one of my first videos I shared on my YouTube channel two years ago when I first started. So that was a really popular video. Everybody was, I think, starting to get into the fermenting world back in 2020, learning to do a little, a few more homesteading skills, but that's a, I love sauerkraut. We also love making yogurt. Um, I make it in my instant pot, super simple, super hands-off fermented foods we love them I actually have for pickles ferments cucumbers fermenting into pickles right now on my counter so I do do a little bit of fermenting I do sourdough which is a form of fermented grain so yes we love fermenting around here too fermented jalapenos are absolutely delicious as well mm, okay have you thought about like trying to uh I don't know like be be totally strict and see if you could only eat what you make and see what it does to you next you know <laughs> you said sometimes you'll eat you know stuff you shouldn't but you know, have you thought about maybe doing a challenge to yourself or your YouTube watchers, like go 30 days and eat 100%, you know, uh, naturally sourced stuff and see what happens? That would be awesome. Well, we pretty, like I said, we pretty much do that. If we go out to eat just like once a month, we, we don't really have a budget to just go out to eat all the time. So, but that would be an awesome challenge. I, I love that idea. I may do that 30 days or even just 10 days, just start small. Yeah, even 10 days. Yeah. Um, from your home or something you source locally, you know what's in the product because mm. I have an ingredient list of 25 items or even five. Sometimes it, even five items is kind of, they're not the best. <laughs> well, what would you say your food budget is? Oh, yeah, wow. It's um, based on a question. It's okay. But no, yeah, I just fine. wonder what like the average family spends if they eat out everything versus what you guys oh, spend. Wow. Make up. Um, well, we only go to the grocery store and get, the things like the produce we can't buy locally, like we can't get bananas locally in Mississippi or pineapple. So our grocery store budget is every two to three weeks, it's about $200, which is very low because like the average, I think family price spends four or 500. Sometimes I'll watch other people checking out and I'm just appalled at what they're spending. Um, but we don't buy meats at the grocery store and we don't buy milk and we don't buy eggs and we don't buy bread. So I'd say we spend 
200 ish every two to three weeks and we buy milk every two weeks that's about 30 bucks so 60 dollars um, let me let me just tell you this on my phone real quick as i'm chatting through it so yeah, that's great. 60 and 60 dollars a month on milk i say 400 on grocery just like things we can't get and then our meat see i don't our meat we buy for like the year so i don't even know how we would divide that out our eggs we get from our backyard so we just account in to the fact the little bit of grain we give our chickens because they are free range i'd say around 500 to 600 a month pretty low because i do make a lot of things here as much as i can i don't know that may not be low compared to the average american but if you're eating oh, out Oh, yeah. no, that's low. That's very low. <laughs> I've never really, we did, I did do a challenge in January of a no spend month and like broke down what I spent that month in January, the beginning of this year. Turned out to be a pretty rough month because our air conditioner went out. Like everything went out that month, but I, I, I broke down our grocery budget. I can't remember what it was that month. I remember yeah. though, you're eating really cheaply and you're eating good stuff. Yeah. What regular people have to do is eat, eat garbage. Exactly. You know, like in the dollar store, the lowest quality managers special. Exactly. Crap, you know, in order to even get probably a budget of twice or three times what you spend. So you yeah. guys are way ahead of the game for many, many. We've had to, uh, when I quit teaching, we cut our income almost in half. So we had to change a lot of things and just cooking as much as I can from home and buying in bulk, like the meat and stuff like that. And making our own bread has really helped and like the budget on that. Okay. Well, very good, Amy. This is great what you're doing. You know, you're you're doing it all. You're not just talking to people about it. You're actually doing it, learning about it, and then telling people from your own experience. So, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so the best way for people to find you is what? Go to YouTube and put in uh, Amy Harris and A M M I E. Yes, it's a very unique spelling. Yeah, no, that's great. Most active on YouTube. I do. I am on Instagram some, but I'm more on YouTube, so you can find me there. Okay, excellent. Well, Amy, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been really Thank great to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. I love chatting with you. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.